Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. I am Mike Leone here with Ricky Sanders. We have our flagship podcast for you today, Thursday, October 17th, and that is brought to you by Fantasy Draft. Fantasy Draft, the only rake-free daily fantasy site, brings the heat again with a $300,000 guaranteed rake-free contest. The Hooters main event, this is the largest and only rake-free contest of its kind you will find for week seven. And remember, only on Fantasy Draft are 100% of entry fees paid to contest winners. Sign up at FantasyDraft.com with referral code FNTSY. That's F as in Frank, N-T-S-Y. And you'll get a free seven-day trial membership. Now, Ricky, I know you've come close at hitting their big contest the last few weeks. And you're a fan of Fantasy Draft, having been playing there pretty much weekly this year. Yeah, it's been my preferred site for MME, honestly. I mean, I love the fact that 100% of the contest fees are paid out. It's a deeper payout structure than most of the other sites. So, you know, it's not all concentrated at the top, which I enjoy. You've got the extra flex position. So there's, you know, added flexibility there. And, you know, I don't write for them anymore. So I've got no reason to be a homer. And still I play there. I mean, I like it. And just use that promo code FNTSY. You get that seven-day membership. And if you need some, you know, pointers on how to play it differently than the other sites, because it does include the Sunday night game for their main slate, go ahead and message me. I'd be happy to help. And it only took me about four tries to get that read correct. So, <laughs> hashtag professional. We learned that you're Ron Burgundy today. You will say exactly what uh, what is on the screen. <laughs> I will read exactly what's in front of me. So, <laughs> that happens. We have learned that, as you said. Uh, no Drew Dinkmeyer this week. Uh, kind of sad, but he is taking the week off to get fully prepped for NBA next week. Make sure you check out dailyroto.com slash premium to find out our NBA premium packages. We're really hyped for that, adding the late swaptimizer this year and industry-leading projections. We finished highest in R-squared by you know Manny Laura's lineup study last year that compared like Roto Grinders, Fantasy Cruncher, a whole bunch of different sites. Ours was uh, the best projections out there. So we're looking forward to... Uh, taking up that sort of accuracy again this year. But let's get into the main slate for Sunday week seven. Um, that's what we're going to cover. We're going to go game by game and we'll start with Oakland at Green Bay. Ricky, we've got a total of 46 and a half in this one. Green Bay, five and a half point favorites uh, off the bat. What sticks out to you about this game? The poor play of Aaron Rodgers to this point, and I wonder how that affects this matchup. But I think what has to stick out is what they do at running back here. Last week, Aaron Jones fumbled and then, you know, he dropped a wide open touchdown and they kind of went to Jamal Williams. But I think that if Aaron Jones has the hot hand towards the beginning of this game, they roll with him. Our optimizer still hasn't projected for 55% of the market share of rushes. He was coming off a four touchdown game, so it was such a weird time for them to decide to just bench him. Uh, and I think that against Oakland, this should be a game where they can move the ball and if, I don't want to say Aaron Rodgers is done, but if he is no longer the Aaron Rodgers of old, 
this is a team that you know will rely on its running game more than we've seen in years past. So I'm really interested in the backs. They do cut into each other a bit, but I think it's a good week to go back to Aaron Jones, whose price hasn't come down too much following a disappointing week. So I wonder if there's not much ownership on him. Early ownership projections have him well below some of our other top values. So I think he's what sticks out to me initially. Yeah, and Aaron Jones is currently our second highest projected value at the running back position on DraftKings with, as you mentioned, that 55 market share rushes. Some fragility there, but if that's the case, Ricky, you know, initial ownership projections have all the other running backs around him significantly higher owned. So that could be a really good play for tournaments. Um, Valdez, Scantling, Jimmy Graham, they're just kind of like secondary pass catchers. As you said, Rodgers has struggled. Probably a week you can get the Rodgers stack low owned if you think, you know, he goes off against a bad defense at home, but, you know, not something that projects anywhere where we want it for cash games. On the Oakland side of things, uh, I think the main piece you always have to talk about nowadays is Darren Waller, given the market share we've seen from him. We actually have him, you know, matching basically George Kittle and Evan Ingram in terms of projected market share of targets. But you've got Waller's price tag coming in almost $2,000 cheaper than both those guys. Yeah, clearly a monster play at the tight end position. And I think once again this week, there's going to be stone cold tight end chalk if Evan Ingram plays because you get the matchup against Arizona. His price is up there, but I think just at this point, anyone with any semblance of skill set against Arizona is going to be crazy heavy owned. Basically, anyone who has not been Tyler Eifert, has smashed this team. I mean, Will Disley had a monster game. Greg Olson, Austin Hooper was the tight end one last week. So I think Evan Ingram's going to be your guy there. And if you're not playing him, there's like almost a 2K difference from him to Darren Waller, despite basically an ideal uh identical projection in terms of market share. And then you got Tyrell Williams, who's been, you know, a red zone monster in his own right. He's a guy who, you know, 5,100 on DraftKings, not like a great price tag by any means. But if this team can move the ball, I do think he gets some looks down down in there. And they should be playing from behind, so there should be plenty of passing. Wouldn't be surprised if you got a usable game from both of them. I, I wouldn't be afraid because tight end is so sparse to play them together. The thing I wanted to note before we, you know, went on from the Packers is I don't really think I'm going to be using Rodgers until Devontae Adams is back. I think that's the difference maker. And again, he's been out of practice earlier in the week. So I just wanted to note that before we moved on from this game. All right. Sounds good. And we will move on from this game to the next game on the docket. That's going to be Minnesota at Detroit over under of 46. Detroit two point favorites at home here in a dome game. Uh, the interesting thing with Minnesota, last week we finally saw the passing game break out. I think Stefan Diggs had like as many fantasy points last week as he did in weeks one through five. It was pretty crazy. I was kicking myself because I made four main high stakes teams last week and I was planning on doing Cousins Diggs as my fourth of those teams and ended up getting off it, which was really painful. Um, but once again, you know, Cousins projects to be low owned. I don't know if you jump right back to it as good as they were last week because this is still a team that wants to run the ball a ton. We have them with the highest, one of the highest projected run rates uh, in the league, even as two point underdogs on the road. And you combine that with the fact that Detroit generally a pretty slow paced team. They're at home. They're the favorites. 
Uh, I could see this being somewhat of a dull affair from a fantasy perspective. Completely agree with that. And I wonder if this passing game gets more love this week when I think it's a week you want to be focused on Dalvin Cook. Um, I mean, this is a, a Lions team. You look at the fantasy points allowed. They've been pretty pretty good against receivers and a team that's been historically poor against tight ends that no longer appears to be the case this year. Uh, 23rd in fantasy points allowed to the position, so well below average, but the third most to opposing backs. And like you mentioned, this is a team that still wants to punch the ball down your throat. Delvin Cook, a guy who strangely only played like 64% of the snaps last week, the week before 66. He's like not on the field all the time. You know, he's not going to be you know accused of being someone like Leonard Fournette or Christian McCaffrey. And yet this offense is so run oriented that he still gets it done. So I don't care about the snap numbers. I'm going to overlook that. I think Delvin Cook is a really strong play here. And a week, I agree with you, because Detroit slows down the pace and the fact that Stefan Diggs went crazy last week. And it's weird. If you've been watching these ownership percentages, like anyone who smashed like crazy in one tournament the week before is basically ending up double-digit owned by, you know, accident. So if we're going to get, you know, double-digit owned Stefan Diggs and Delvin Cook is just going to be, you know, with the rest of the pack in terms of his ownership, I want to be on the Delvin Cook side of that on this offense. Yeah, I definitely think, um, you know, Cook's going to carry ownership. Uh, it was really, that was the other thing and frustrating last week. He only came in at 2% owned last week and, and in a really high stakes contest I did, and I had a share of him and I was pumped. So, you know, to get him with that sort of leverage. And then of course the one week he's not chalk at all. He doesn't do well. And I moved off that dig stack. Um, more or less, I'm saying let's move on from Minnesota Detroit <laughs> before I have any more recurring PTSD there. Uh, San Francisco at Washington. We have a low total game here, um, just 41 to start, and that's largely because Washington's team total is only 16. San Francisco's defense has been really strong out of the gate. Ricky, I know you told me uh, prior to recording, you know, one of the bigger takes you had um, initially looking at things was being higher on Tevin Coleman than both the market and our projections because our projections don't really like him initially yeah so i was going to talk to you about after the pod about potentially moving up his market share of rushing touchdowns at the very least because okay so i've been preaching that you want these high workload type backs i think the exception to that is guys in really heavy offenses who are splitting time and tevin coleman in this game he has been their red zone back Literally no other back has touched the ball in the red zone over the course of the last two weeks for this team. So he's been 100% since he came back. This is a game where they should be up. This is the most run-heavy offense to this point in the season. Uh, what are they? I think they're at 57% of their plays called have been rushing plays. Certainly seems like a, a perfect game flow for that. And you look at you know the split between him and teammate Matt Breida. I think everyone assumed that Breida was the guy. And yet he's out carried him 34 to 24 over the course of the last two weeks. And like I mentioned, he has kind of been like their Jeff Wilson as well, uh, where he was the guy, you know, getting the red zone carries. Now it's Tevin Coleman who is carrying the load or the, the majority of the load and scoring the touchdowns in a game where they'll be up early. To me, that just screams a spot where they'll just continue to run, run, run. And I think our market share, I already moved him up in my model, but I think our market share of rushing touchdowns was a bit over, you know, 50 and I was considering moving him up to like 85 to 90 uh, because they they don't 
give any other backs touches. I mean, we, we've seen that back-to-back weeks. So I'd like to be you know a little bit bullish on him. I know that's not typically a projection we have for backs, but because I'd like to get him into my runs, that's where I'm going with him. I'm curious to see your thoughts on such a thing. Yeah, it's hard because, as you said, they're not giving many other backs touches. I mean, 18 to 13 on the carries between him and Breda last week. You know, Mostert still had four. Uh, 16 to 11 the week before Mostert had seven there like it's it's just going to be hard from a math perspective to get him to where he needs to be because I don't think the market share is really wrong like you said if you no. think they just run so much that it doesn't matter that it's splitting carries like that could be the case they they just scare me a little bit San Francisco and when you're talking about a $5,600 price tag I know this is one of those situations where it's really hard to determine because game environment seems perfect and it's like they run the ball 35 times and you feel like an idiot for not playing him or they run the ball 20 times and he has right. 10 of those carries and it's like why did I pay 5600 on a full PPR site for this guy so um, ultimately I don't think I'll have a lot of uh Tevin Coleman in my lineups this week. So I'm kind of more with the market and our initial projections, but I get where, I mean, I certainly get where you're coming from on this. Um, outside of him too, like, like it's like Kittle's the guy that I, w- I think I'll be heavy on. I know he'll be somewhat chalky because of the matchup, but just we've seen it with the tight ends all year. They haven't really had any explosion games from Kittle Ertz, um, Kelsey, you know, a lot of these tight ends that we expect to do really well, OJ Howard, certainly um, rest in peace, best ball shares. And <laughs> I think there's a week to, to maybe go pretty heavy on Kittle at a onesie position. Um, I don't really have too many hot takes. I think on the Washington side of things, you know, McLaurin's the huge big play guy. But that price tag has just gotten to a point where I don't think you can justify playing it against the San Francisco defense. Uh, Adrian Peterson's cheap for the amount of touches he's going to get in a good game script, in a regular game script. Highly doubt that's what he actually sees here. So I'm off AP this week, even after a good performance last week. I'm I'm torn on AP because if there's no Chris Thompson, what do we think? That they're going to rely heavily on Wendell Smallwood from their down? Like I wouldn't be surprised if Adrian Peterson remains in the game and just plays a ton of snaps. And if they happen to get, you know, a pass interference call downfield, I think he sneaks into a touchdown. And if this game remains, you know, slightly closer than we think, Adrian Peterson could get, you know, 20 plus touches again, and it could just be a volume play. So I'm a little bit torn on AP. I think most people are going to think this defense has played so well, but you look at the DVOA, they've been incredible against the pass. They're number one. They're near middle of the pack against the rush, and I would guess against this team, you're not going to try and go pass happy, you know, with Case Keenum. You're going to try and run the ball down their throats. So I think AP touches the ball a lot early. The game flow may depend on how much he touches the ball late. I might have a decent amount of him being like, you know, double digit percentage just because I think most people are going to be off him because of the perception of San Francisco defense. Yeah, I think I'll be off him. 
I mean, I'm, I'd be more likely to do it, like you said, if Thompson's out. We currently have him in the projections and AP, like just on the outside of the top 10 values. There's also, there are not a lot of good RB plays as cheap as AP. There's some guys in the 5K-ish range, which we'll talk about that I like better. Um, we didn't really hit on Josh Jacobs for Oakland, but I think like he's okay to play. Um, but yeah, I think that's enough time on that game. We can go over to Jacksonville at Cincinnati. Cincinnati plus four at home as underdogs game total here, 43 and a half. Ricky, uh, one of the biggest chalk pieces on the entire week is in this game. That's going to be Leonard Fournette. and running backs have absolutely killed Cincinnati. You combine that with the fact that Leonard Fournette is fat. Christian McCaffrey never leaves the field. He's seen an awesome diversified workload in terms of total touches in the red zone. Uh, in the rush game, in the receiving game. And, you know, the only concern with Fournette is the price is getting up there. And if efficiency goes bad, which it can for him, like maybe it goes wrong. But we're such a volume team where, you know, like we think the volume is more important. We think the matchup against Cincinnati and a decent team total is more important that in cash games, this seems like, you know, a pretty firm play. So this is the chalk play this week that I'm considering just going way above the field on. I've I've regretted it a few times with like Christian McCaffrey smash spots where I've been like, okay, I'll go like 30, 35%, and then that's what he ends up owned. And then like all my other teams are immediately dead with a huge workload. You look at what running backs have done to the Cincinnati team. You talk about smashes. Uh, James Conner took 10 attempts for over 26 DraftKings points, 15 attempts for Chris Carson, 25 DraftKings points. You remember that week where all of San Francisco torched them? There was that like Raheem Mostert, Matt Breida, Jeff Wilson week where they all had over 15 DraftKings points. Jeff Wilson, yeah. Yep. I mean, Chase Edmonds and David Johnson both had over 17 against this team. It's just been crazy, the smash fest that, that has been going on here. Fournette getting all the touches, I think... If you're going to go heavy on him, maybe a a way to differentiate is to add him into a stack with the quarterback because he catches so many passes. There's definitely a scenario in which he catches a receiving touchdown. And so I think I would add him to Minshew stacks, especially if there's no D.D. Westbrook. I think it's a viable week to go Minshew, Leonard Fournette, and D.J. Chark all in the same lineup. I think that would be the way I would differentiate in this game because I don't have too much interest in Cincinnati, although Jacksonville's defense without Ramsey isn't quite as good as we thought they would be. Yeah, and I think you said it. You can definitely use Fournette with Minshew teams. Uh, D.D. Westbrook didn't practice shoulder injury. If he's out, like Chris Conley becomes a really cheap play you can use there. Uh, I know DJ Chark's getting more expensive. If he runs into the touchdowns, not for net. If you wanted to do some non-Fournette teams, I think you know Chark's a good leverage pivot off of him. Had a down game last week when people finally started to play him. The price tag's still high. I could see ownership being not like low, but I don't think it gets high on him. Would you bring? I know you said you're not really interested in Cincinnati. I do think there are guys you can bring back though if you do yes. do the Minshew stacks, like Mixon 5K. Uh, Tyler Boyd, 5,600. I'm not sure the price tags on fantasy draft, um, you know, where you're going to play most of your action, but like those are tags where if the volume is just right for them, they don't have to have a super efficient game. They just need to find the end zone once and the team total, you know, it's still low twenties. Like you said, this, 
Jaguars defense, it's not as stout as it's been in the past. And Ramsey, once again, uh, not there, hasn't been playing for them and now officially gone to the Rams. Yeah, and I mean, the Mixon thing is interesting because this past weekend was the first time I saw doing the GPP recaps that you had two running backs from the same game, actually from the same game stack winning tournaments. So it is absolutely possible, especially if they're viable in the in the passing game. This past weekend, I think it was, yeah, it was the Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Devontae Freeman, bring it back with David Johnson stack and, that won the monster on FanDuel. Go ahead. You also had Chris Carson and Nick Chubb yep. against each other put up massive games. So um, I think in today's day and age where running backs are catching the ball a bit more that you have less you know, negative correlation between opposing backs um, than you do. And we've got Mixon with 9% of market share targets. We've already talked about Fernet um, being very heavily involved in the passing game. I don't think I'm on Auden Tate. I know people have been using him. It's been successful. Whatever. Uh, probably yeah. only two guys I'd consider in Cincinnati are Boyd and Mixon. Agree. Okay, let's go on to the next game then. Arizona at the New York Giants over under 50 and a half. New York's minus three. This is a situation, Ricky, where every week the Arizona game seems to be appealing um, because of the tempo they play with. They have some intriguing guys on their offense. And, you know, and I, I think it's no different this week against the Giants team that I uh, guess who's back. You know, Saquon Barkley's back. He's super expensive, but this is a really good spot for him to come back. And um, I think Daniel Jones is going to get some ownership. We've seen him be able to run a little bit, which has increased the fantasy ceiling from when, you know, even though we knew he might run a little bit coming in um, that first game right away, we saw it against Tampa Bay and he's got stackable pieces. You've got Evan Ingram with one of the highest market share targets for tight ends. Uh, you've got Golden Tate there, who's been a PPR monster in the past and with Sterling Shepard, you know, not playing, I think. Again, the, the market share targets we have at 22 there, like it could be higher. Um, Darius Slayton's only 4,100. So like there's a lot of ways you can go on both the Giants side and the Arizona side. I feel like the opportunities Larry Fitzgerald's getting, he's going to have a massive game one of these times. I know generally you don't want to play the upside on old guys like Fitzgerald, but it's coming, Ricky. I'm telling you, he's going to get a two touchdown game with the way um, they're calling plays there. It just hasn't materialized yet. Yeah, and I feel like I'm doing the uh, podcast this weekend with Davis Maddock. I feel like once he looks at this and he sees the fact that Daniel Jones projecting for double the ownership in this game for Kyler Murray, it might set his head on fire. Because you look at, I mean, the DVOAs of these teams, Arizona 30th in overall defensive DVOA, you know, the Giants still well below average at 23rd. And we've got, again, Daniel Jones projected for like double the ownership to Kyler Murray. So I, I agree. I mean, the context for Daniel Jones, who has been, you know, bad the past few weeks. But can you really blame him? You know, he basically had no one to throw to against the Patriots. So he was just kind of, you know, their, their, uh, the guy that they send out there to kind of, you know, take all the hits. And this week, you got Evan Ingram back. You got Saquon Barkley. You've got a great supporting cast back for him. I understand there. But Kyler Murray, on a very pass-heavy offense, 
I think that's a great tournament play to me. Just looking at you know our value rankings for these quarterbacks, especially on FanDuel. I mean, him the fifth value for like half the ownership of all the guys that are right ahead of him, and they're projecting within you know a point or two of most of them. I think Kyler Murray is my favorite GPP play in this game. Like obviously Evan Ingram is going to get massive ownership. We talked about that against the Cardinals. I don't really think that needs to be talked about anymore. I'm with you on Golden Tate. I think there should be you know plenty of volume there as well. The question is, can this offense sustain Evan Ingram, Golden Tate, and Saquon Barkley all in one week? I think the answer to that is no. So I, I think I would play max two of three between those. And I certainly have interest in Cardinals with David Johnson being another guy I would include as a pass catcher in a stack with a quarterback. It worked out last week for those who ran that. I mean, David Johnson's just been a huge part of the, the you know passing game. If Christian Kirk is out, he's basically their number two receiver. Yeah, and it looks like Kirk's going to be out. And then just before I move on, one other note on Ingram. Uh, you look at the site pricing, like Darren Waller's price tag on FanDuel much higher than on DraftKings, which makes Ingram super appealing. I think DraftKings you can get to Waller in cash games so easily because he's so much cheaper, but much closer on FanDuel. Um, so Ingram is probably in your cash games. Then we move on to Miami at Buffalo. Low total here, just 41, but Buffalo 16.5 point favorites. Ricky, I didn't think a year or so ago that a 16 and a half point favorite game for the Bills was in the cards by any means. But here we are. Uh, most of this, of course, has to do with just how bad Miami is. Um, but the Bills defense is legit. You know, this is like top three defense in the league. And Josh Allen's the type of guy that I think. Well, we know this ceiling on him super high because of his ability to run, and he hasn't run nearly as much this year. What's been a problem for Allen, the offense has been effective at times, but they just haven't been able to rack up like multiple touchdowns in too many games, and they've gone through lulls. When you're facing Miami with a really good defense, like they're just going to get so many opportunities at short fields that I could see Allen, even if he doesn't have a crazy yardage day, racking up like four touchdowns between passing and rushing. Like, I think this ceiling is there for him this week. I'm not going to go under the radar by any means, but he's actually our top projected value on both sides currently. And that's because we project him to be so heavily involved in the team's touchdowns and they have their highest team total that they've seen all year by a significant margin at 29. Is this maybe the one team of the week that there's going to be a positive correlation between the quarterback and the defense? Like, because he's kind of their red zone running back. and Yeah, I mean, I it might be. It might be. The problem is, like, you start cannibalizing on touchdowns. But I do think that, again, because the yardage doesn't matter as much. Like, you could, if this game is a huge blowout, you know, Allen could account for three touchdowns early and the defense can get one late. Or just, and when you face Miami, too, the way, that offense has just been so bad that you haven't really even needed defensive score to yeah. get to value against them. Just between sacks, turnovers, and the points staying low, you can get there. Yeah, a lot of weeks I've like negative boosted defenses with quarterbacks just to make sure that I don't get a lot of that. I don't think I'm going to do that this week. Like, I think I'm going to be fine with the Josh Allen Buffalo you know, construction, which is what you're getting a lot of in cash games. So I, I certainly think it's fine there. But even in tournaments, I think it has the necessary upside. And then you get Bills receivers all over the place. Mike, do you, do you have a favorite here since you're our resident Bills expert? 
Yeah, I mean, I know that in some of our early optimals, like Cole Beasley was getting into lineups on DraftKings, full PPR site, where you know we've just seen a condensed target share for them. And you know they've traded Zay Jones. That's because they brought up Duke Williams, and he's had some success. But Duke Williams isn't going to be a guy that commands a big market share of targets. So I think he might be more efficient than Zay Jones, but I think the targets overall probably a little bit less, which condenses things on both Cole Beasley and John Brown. So I think they're usable in all formats. I think there's a chance that people probably, you know, they might play Allen naked maybe more than they should. And you can get some equity by stacking him with Beasley looks like to play on DraftKings. Brown a little bit more on FanDuel. I did see Brown was on the injury report. I don't think it was anything significant, but that is something um, to watch out for. Yeah, I, the only other thing I would add is in contrarian builds, I think there's a chance Dawson Knox gets a red zone look or two. I just don't know if even him scoring a touchdown would be enough to compete with the top guys. I think it would you know, maybe get you into some builds where you could get three monster backs and some good receivers. That would be the reason to roll it out. So I, I'm considering a sprinkle of him, but otherwise not much more for us to talk about here. Yeah, I think the running backs are probably too split with Singletary and Gore. And then, of course, on the Miami side of things, I, I just, you know, Drake's 4,100. I, I just don't really see any reason to mess around. I think it's very unlikely as a GPP winning week. I think there's a chance he pays off his tag nicely, but I don't think he's going to bury you in any situation, in which case, you know, just spend those valuable RB spots elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, next, we have the Houston at Indianapolis game over under 47. Indy's minus one. Uh, this should be a fun game. One of the best games of the week. And I know our projections always seem to be a little bit higher on Jacoby Brissett than the market is and he's someone you can play this week i know there's a lot of narrative with ty hilton's history against houston i don't know if that's really relevant those games were you know spread out over so many years obviously with much different quarterback play most of the time there um for ty hilton but uh, i am interested in this game from a game stack perspective you know hopes that it goes a little bit under owned i guess it depends how many people eat up that ty hilton chalk but Brissett's not going to be owned and on the houston side of things you know deandre hopkins has been so disappointing will fuller's kind of expensive i think you can get away with some plays there uh we'll see if kenny stills returns we're currently projecting him in uh, which would put a damper on that third wide receiver spot for dfs value yeah, this kind of sucks. I mean, T.Y. Hilton's not playing as heavily out of the slot this year as he had in years past, and really it's been outside receivers killing Houston. I mean, they've been a, basically an average team against slot receivers, but T.Y. Hilton, the highest percent that he's lined up this year is on the right side of the field, 40% of the field, which is unlike Hilton in other you know years, which is a long-winded way of saying, like, I think the outside receivers have the best matchup here, and I would like to play another one of them, but I just don't think with, you know, a projection of like 7% of the, the market share for guys like Deion Kane or Chester Rogers, that there's enough to go contrarian within the receivers on this team if moving off T.Y. Hilton. Like, if you're playing Jacoby Brissett, you are playing T.Y. Hilton as well, and I don't really see a way around that as much as I'd like to, to find a different way. I think... You could go T.Y. Hilton and one of the tight ends if you think there's going to be, you know, the touchdown score there. But 
I don't really know what to make of this game. I mean, Indianapolis has been really tough on receivers. They have shut down some really good offenses. Kansas City didn't really look good against this team. I don't know what to, what to make of Houston here. Like, I want to have exposure to them, and I don't want to, you know, rely on the narrative too hard. But you look at this week, I mean, Deshaun Watson, unowned. And when you have Deshaun Watson on, on virtual unknown week, it's a week I would like to be on them. I just don't know where to go. Maybe Will Fuller is a guy who could stretch the field just because you only need one long one for him to get there. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm really torn on this game. Like I'm, I'm with you. The T.Y. Hilton chalk is not you know my favorite spot to attack this week. The early ownership <laughs> projections don't look like they're too bad. So maybe you know we're just in our bubble. But go it's ahead. It's hard because. If he's chalk, like I don't really want to play a chalk T.Y. Hilton. But if he's not chalk, I think the whole game's underowned outside of him. Yes. Like I think Doyle is underowned with a double stack there with Brissett. I think I know you I know the matchup's tough against Indianapolis, but people aren't gonna play DeAndre Hopkins with the price tag going up after another disappointing week and now in a much tougher matchup. Like so a double stack with Hopkins coming back is appealing to me if T.Y. Hilton's moderately owned in the low double digits. It's not appealing to me if I have to play a 25% on T.Y. Hilton. At that point, I'll just look to another game. I won't even play T.Y. Hilton in tournaments. Yeah, and I think a lot of people think that DeAndre Hopkins is dead, by the way. So maybe just roll him out by himself and, and just it's got to pay off one of these weeks with that volume. Yeah, and Will Fuller, by the way, dropped like three touchdowns last week after scoring three touchdowns. Yeah. The week before. <laughs> so um, you, you can definitely keep your eye on him. Next game we have on the slate, the Rams at the Falcons. Total of 54.5, Atlanta's plus three. Ricky, I don't know how Atlanta has been as bad as they've been. I, it boggles my mind that this team's one in five. Their they lost defense. Last week. I mean, defense, they lost last week missing an extra point. Um, but yeah, this might be the chalkiest passing game of all time is not Atlanta, but the Rams going against them. You know, dome game for the Rams. I know golf was putrid last week. I don't think it's going to affect his ownership because people are going to want to stack him with cup with woods cooks. We'll see where he gets owned. Um, it's tough to not like the cup chalk. I hate expensive wide receiver chalk, but he seems like a little bit of safer wide receiver chalk to an extent. Maybe that's just me talking myself into it, but just because the position he plays, the quantity of opportunities he gets, the floor on him seems a little bit higher than on other um, receivers at times. But again, that's everyone always finds a way to justify the chalk receiver, and it's possible that's what I'm doing. I think in cash games, like that's the guy to spend up for. Like I would spend up for him before T.Y. Hilton, even though our projections have Hilton as a slightly better value. Um, just given how bad Atlanta's been, um, given the team total here, and given how great Cup has been this year. Yeah, I mean, since week two, Cup is at least tied for the team lead in targets amongst the receivers every single week, and in fact, amongst the team looking at it. So he has been, like you said, a consistent source of of targets, and I know the narrative here is that 
Atlanta gives up a ton of points out of the slot. Looking at pro football focus, they only have them 10th, so it's not like a crazy number. But I think this Atlanta passing defense is so terrible that you just like the best receivers against them. I mean, 31st in passing DVOA, a defense that has struggled to tackle all year long. Every year, every week I look at the pro football focus grades on tackling, and they keep going closer and closer towards the bottom. And, I mean, a guy like Cup who can break tackles, I think he's a fantastic play. I was a little tilted that Drewby, you know, he sent the ownerships from last week. It was about 18% Cup, and then 6-3 and three on the other receivers. So there continues to be huge leverage if you wanted to play Woods or Cooks. And, you know, there are weeks where they are heavily targeted. Like week three, Brandon Cooks, 12 targets, 9 targets the next week. Week four, Robert Woods, 15 targets, 9 targets the next week. There are certainly buying opportunities for them, but Cooks is the most stable value, and I think he has potentially the highest ceiling. So I'm a little bit torn here. I think I would have Cup in most of my stacks with Jared Goff, and I would just rotate Woods and Cooks off of it as opposed to having like a Woods Cooks golf stack, and I have a feeling you're going to disagree with that. Well, I, I think what's interesting if you MME, if you really wanted to be heavy on this game, I think you could make a ton of golf stacks and rotate the three receivers evenly. And if you're really overweight on the amount of golf stacks you're making, like you're going to be with the field on cup, and that's fine. He's chalk. I don't know if you ever want to be way over on wide receiver chalk. But then you're going to be way over on Woods. You're going to be way over on Cooks if you do it that way. So I think that's appealing to me. Like if you were to take a stand and say, I'm going to be heavy one particular game, I think this is the game. And there's so many guys to rotate on the Atlanta side of things. I mean, Devonta Freeman's in play, catching balls a little bit again. Julio's always in play. Hooper, Ridley, Sanu, like there's so many guys you can bring it back with that if you're MME 150 set, if you want to be super aggressive, take a third of that set. Make make one third golf stacks if you really want to try and hit the nuts with this game. And again, just rotate the Rams receivers, I think, evenly and then uh, bring back uh, a piece on Atlanta. As far as like standalone value on Atlanta, I don't love anyone for cash games. Um, I think and then I think they're all like by themselves, like kind of neutral tournament plays where the game environment is going to keep them owned, but like no one sticks out enough to be super chalky. So they're just, you know, kind of fine. Um, I guess the other thing, you know, obviously we need to talk about Rams running back situation uh, and Gurley's health this week. Yeah, I mean, I think if Gurley is back in the lineup, he's playable. I don't really think there's too much else to say there. I saw Malcolm Brown isn't isn't practicing either. So I think you either get Gurley back or you get no Gurley and no Brown, and then Henderson becomes a bit of a no-brainer. But I'm not sure. I don't have a good read on this, to be honest. Yeah, it looks like Gurley's on pace to play right now. We'll see uh, what happens. we don't think they would play him heavy, like right off the gate after missing things, which is why our projections don't love him. But um, initial ownership projection on Gurley is like 5%. You get him at 5% in this game, that's pretty sexy. So um, <laughs> we'll have to monitor that. Let's move on to the uh, Chargers at the Tennessee Titans. It's a game, be pretty slow paced. It's represented. With the game total of 40, Tennessee's minus two in this game. Ryan Tannehill at quarterback in place of Marcus Mariota for Tennessee. I think the uh, 
the guy that I'm most interested in in this game is easily Derrick Henry. And we saw a Steelers team that just could not throw the ball backup, backup quarterback in the game. And the Chargers knew what was coming and they couldn't stop it. You know, they were just overpowered. Now you get them on the road uh, and I could see this power running game and the difficulty in tackling Derrick Henry to come into play. And I think as a result, Henry has magnificent upside in this game at ownership. That's not going to be that high because he's the game log guy. When he's going well with game logs, people play him when he's not going well. Um, people tend not to play him. And as a result of recency bias, I could see that ownership staying down and our initial projections have him sub 5% both sites. Always a guy that is a little bit better off on FanDuel than on DraftKings just because the half PPR scoring doesn't hurt him as much as it's going to hurt him over on DraftKings because he doesn't catch many balls. Yeah, I see your Henry, and I raise you a Henry as the only other player I like in this game, being Hunter Henry. Uh, I actually think I like him better than Delaney Walker, which we have it the other way around in our projections. I mean, he came back last week. 100 yards, two touchdowns. He looked like a big part of this offense. And the thing I like about this matchup with Tennessee, you're right, it's slow pace, but the soft spot in the defense is in the middle of the field and with tight ends. That's where basically the only position they've struggled against. They're basically above average in fantasy points allowed to every other position except for the tight end where they're borderline, you know, bottom 10 at the position. So I think if you're going contrarian from the likes of Evan Ingram, Waller, and Kittle, Hunter Henry is one of the main names that that would be my focus. Next game on the docket, Baltimore at Seattle. We've got a game total of 49. Seattle is minus four at home in this game. We've seen Seattle, because their defense hasn't been as good this year, get into some shootout-type games. And that's obviously been great for Russell Wilson's value, a guy we were probably too low on in the preseason. Um, He projects this week as one of the better quarterback values. There's just so many ways you can go at quarterback that I really wouldn't overthink things too much in cash games, but um, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson, feels like one of those guys has a pretty good week every week. And um, the only issue I see with them this week is they're going to be owned. And if things break a certain way, like if things break right for Seattle, it's weird to say if things break right, the players are worse values. But if they're controlling this game, they're going to run the ball. They're not going to throw much. They're not going to run a whole ton of plays. Uh, like this game scares me a little bit with the ownership that's on it right now. I know the totals there. I know both these quarterbacks are exciting, um, but I am scared a little bit by the ownership on the Seattle side, Baltimore side ownership seems a little bit better. I won't be playing Mark Ingram. I think that's way too high of a price tag for a TD dependent guy. Um, but the pass catchers and Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown, I want to see where the ownership comes in because like you look at tight end this week, you know, we hit on Kittle already, Ricky. We hit on Ingram. We hit on Darren Waller. Like, people might not play Mark Andrews, who um, is one of the higher upside tight ends around right now. Yeah. I mean, first looking at this slate, I was kind of excited to see the ownership to this game because I thought it would be lower with, you know, the Rams, Atla- uh, yeah, Rams Atlanta uh, in that Arizona game. And come to see Tyler Lockett, 26% projected ownership on FanDuel alone. Um, I agree. That's kind of scaring me off this game. It was one of my spots I wanted to pivot off chalk if it wasn't going to be chalk. But it's looking a little bit chalkier than I would have liked. 
the spots that I see with the ownership are the exact ones you nailed. Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. I'm going to have, you know, a fair amount of Evan Ingram this week, but there's still plenty of, you know, lineups to go that I will not. And Mark Andrews, him and Darren Waller are the guys that I, that look like the ones to target if you're not going there. Of course, Kittle is fine, but the ownership difference between Kittle and similarly projected players and Mark Andrews and Waller is enough for me to probably boost them uh, in terms of, of how much I have of them above Kittle. And I do want to point out Marquise Brown did not practice uh, on Wednesday. You know, obviously he missed last week's game, in which he didn't practice at all. If he's not able to play, I think Miles Boykin is really interesting as a super cheap tournament dart. Um, I got him at 1% last week. He played a season high 56% of the snaps. Um, we knew Willie Sneed would play more than him. Um, but he he outsnapped the other receivers. You know, Chris Moore ended up playing a lot more. Seth Roberts didn't see his snaps go up. They actually went down. And Boykin is just from a talent upside perspective, like way better than those guys. So um, I, I think that's something to watch out for. If you want a one percent, like a lot of times one percent guys are just bad plays. But I think Marquis or I think Miles Boykin at forty seven hundred FanDuel, thirty five hundred DraftKings would actually be a good one percent play. We have New Orleans at Chicago, the Bears. Ricky, uh, I believe this is our last game on the main slate, and it's, it's an ugly one to end with. We have a total of just 38.5, Chicago minus four in this game. Tough to get too excited about anyone from a DFS perspective. Uh, as down as I was on David Montgomery to begin the year, I thought he was one of the worst seasonal-long plays I got a lot wrong. That was one that I think I got right. With that said, the volume for him has slowly become better. It's slowly become, I think, more what people expected. Still a little bit light in the passing game. Um, but if no one's going to play him, I have some mild MME interest, but probably nothing um, single entry three max on the bear side whatsoever. So the thing with the Saints is they've been beaten up out of the slot. They're allowing the fifth most yards per reception to slot receivers. The problem with the Bears is they kind of move all over the place. And you get a lot of splits with Allen Robinson and Taylor Gabriel, both of which I don't think are going to be owned at all. I would like sprinkles of them just because the way their scheme works. And every once in a while, you know, this offense does scheme the slot receiver wide open. If Trubisky's back, I think there's a better chance for success here, which it looks like he's trending towards playing, or at least uh, Coach is optimistic that he will play this week. I know people are going to be scared of the, the Allen Robinson-Marshawn-Lattimore matchup, but because he moves all around the field, I don't think it scares me too much. I think Gabriel and Robinson are worthy of sprinkles, and that is it with this team, and you're a little bit grasping at straws, but still, I, I do have interest in those two players. All right, Ricky, that's going to do it for us on this edition of the Daily or the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you um, by Fantasy Draft this week. Again, use promo code FNTSY over at fantasydraft.com to get a free trial and enter their big contest this week. And make sure you're checking out dailyroto.com slash premium if you want insight into all of our projections, our optimizer, and our premium podcast that's going to drop Saturday afternoons after we take into account all of the injury information and have a bit better ownership projections. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and best of luck in all your games this week.